Welcome to the Harlem Art Space podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Litherland. Harlem Art Space is an exhibition, event, and studio space based in the historic, Arkwright built Harlem Mill in Worksworth, Derbyshire, England. For more information about Harlem Art Space, please visit www.harlemartspace.co.uk. Welcome to podcast number 14, and this one is actually about my upcoming solo exhibition and online Harlem periodical. Um, Harlem periodicals are our, or Harlem Art Space's, online place, Um, not so much a website or a view or gallery viewing room. Imagine more of a journal article with kind of interactive video sound um, content and they were devised by the graphic designers we worked with on our website Dust based in Sheffield and they've proved an amazing tool um, to get our exhibitions out to a wider audience during lockdown and also help us um, yeah develop our ideas and our curatorial voice uh, Livy Punnett who's, and Catherine Rogers who are the other co-directors and uh, curators um, did an amazing job with our uh, last exhibition Re-Rural which I would really like to revisit some of those artists and have podcasts, interviews and sections with them at some point in the future so this is uh, a podcast about my work and I'm not going to say too much about it because I think um, the conversation I have with Gavin Repton, who's an amazing filmmaker based at Harlem, um, he's been following my practice over the last few years and has put together um, a 10-minute film and this interview. And the film is available um, now from October the 16th as part of the Harlem Periodical. So to visit the Harlem Periodical and... Um, access all that content it's on the front page of www.harlemartspace.co.uk so I will talk about more of my my work with with Gavin in due course the thing that sort of permeates um, a lot of this podcast is the music I have been making collaboratively uh, during the last few months um, since lockdown really it's, uh, I used to do a lot of music in the past, something that I'm very passionate about, but never really had to found the time to do it. So the silver lining for me personally during lockdown was having that time and space and working collaboratively with people I've been meaning to work with. Um, the main one being musician and writer Christopher Thornhill, Christopher John Thornhill, um, and uh, musician Patrick Shannon Whelan and musician and trumpet player uh, Robert Squirrel. Uh, we, we put together this music. It was, a, it was um, yeah, I really enjoyed the process. And to some extent, it kind of mimicked or had similarities to the, the paintings I'm about to talk about. The first starting point for the music was very much the weave patterns I have been working with and transposing those into guitar, 
motifs and chord structures and then and building upon from that and just seeing where the music would, would take it, take me and take us really um, I listen to a lot of Brian Eno I'm a big fan of uh, the minimalism of Steve Reich and Terry Riley I love Miles Davis particularly in a silent way and I love um, kind of the genre that is kind of post-rock so all of that kind of inflects the music and it was yeah and I we got it mastered by an amazing chap called Andy Wright who's a musician and studio is in Nottingham he's also one part of or he is We Show Up on Radar um, an amazing band in Nottingham so it's available now if you like what you hear it's available as a limited edition uh 100 of a limited edition of 100 booklet publication and it's available from my website www.jeffdiegoliverland.com 10 pounds and you get a booklet which in essence is the artwork of the of not just the album but this kind of exhibition um that the, the work we're going to talk about is for. I'm kind of cobbling together lots of strands of my practice and just throwing it out there. I think there's a coherence in my head. It comes together and works, and I hope that viewers of the exhibition and of the periodical and listeners of the music can start to see how um, I'm trying to connect these um, various threads together. Anyway, I'll stop rambling. And here's the interview with myself and Gavin. So I guess first, it's probably a good idea to sort of talk about when you first kind of had the ideas for this project and where they came from. Um, I, th- oh, I think it was a while ago. I think it was 2016, 2015. And so the initial idea was just a kind of, um, yeah, kind of kind of an abstract idea. I was kind of feeling, I suppose, quite disillusioned in my own, um, in my practice at the time which felt like I was illustrating concepts and ideas through painting, through, I suppose, um, a kind of romantic visual language, rather than embodying um, an ideology or kind of belief system. I felt like I was commenting on something rather than standing for something, if that makes sense. And I just had, I just thought, and this was this at, at the beginning of, yeah, 2015, 2016. And there seemed to be a lot of um, ideas and discourse around uh, materials and craft uh, within a kind of contemporary sort of fine art uh, environment. And it's just starting, I've always, I've always loved um, the materials of, traditional materials of, of uh, Western painting which in essence are sort of the paint the pigment and the support which in most traditional cases is a kind of canvas so when um 
you know, when when people start thinking about uh, the mater material kind of relationship or engagement, I just in my in my head I had this idea. Um, yeah, wouldn't it be interesting to to not buy any materials and actually just make them all yourself, knowing that that entailed this different relationship to to the landscape. So, if I think about the work I was making previously, which was about landscape, which was about a, a kind of commenting on our um, on a on a kind of on a romantic on a romantic level in terms of how we perceive the landscape, i.e., as something that's quite separate. To if you if you engage with the landscape on a on a very kind of pragmatic material way, what would what would those paintings or what would what would be embodied within that work and and what yeah what's more what's more engaging than actually uh, a bit of graft a bit of labor and watching things grow you know watching these plants grow or going out and trying to find pigments um, trying to understand your locality try to understand the place that you kind of uh, are living in, the, the natural environment that you're living in. And I suppose my my work, since I go you know go back to when I was a student, which is like 20 years ago now, my work has always been about a kind of a quite personal relationship between myself and my natural environment, and and hopefully within that there is echoes of a, a kind of more sort of universal. Um, engagement with the natural world and I've often felt and sometimes still do very separate from that and that was something that was just I just found so strange when I was younger why do I feel so separate to the stuff that's going on there I just this just feel everything out there kind of feels really really alien and um yeah a lot of my work has tried to discover the reasons why um and I think it's that you know a lot of it is to do the way that contemporary society has been um, ideologically engineered to remove people from that connection to allow um, industrialization and capitalism to kind of to, to, um, to bloom and to kind of neglect this kind of deep connection um, with the natural world so maybe this project is, is in a way a little bit to do with healing some of those rifts but it's definitely kind of a, a, um, a way for me to kind of connect to something um, in, on a much kind of deeper level. Oh cool, yeah and um, I guess it's kind of a reaction to you coming to Wordsworth as well do you think? Yeah and I think a lot of that's one of I mean I think they went hand in hand I think I had this idea when I was living in Nottingham and um, moving here to Worksworth, which is a really interesting place um, where other people do crazy things. Um, I'm just thinking of, of Gavin and Full Grown, and it's, mm -hmm. it was definitely um, chatting to him um, that was, in essence, the catalyst, and also just like, well, he's just gone and done it. He's just decided to make furniture in a kind of really different way using um, really simple kind of pre-industrial techniques but bypassing a kind of 
really kind of um, damaging industrial process in the same way, at the end point achieving something that's actually better than all these kind of, um, yeah, kind of machine alterations and technological alterations. It's just like, let's just do it in this kind of really uh, simple, elegant way. And he's just gone on and done it. So yeah, I think moving to Worksworth, but also, yeah, meeting people like him, like yourself, who are people who have been like, yeah, just encouraging people who haven't just gone, that's a stupid idea or what a waste mm. of time. Why, why would you do that? Um, it's, um, yeah, it's been great. So I, th I think it's a combination. Yeah, you're right. It's a combination of lots of different factors. Mm -hmm. And also even the fact that, um, you know, we were setting up Harlem and we had a year where we didn't, we couldn't get into the building for various reasons. It wasn't ready. Um, so we had, I had that time to, to grow the flax in the first place. That was when we, we didn't have the studio at the um, space at that time. Mm, yeah, yeah. Is it the first thing that you've done what's been like as much about the process, if not more about the process and the time of doing that as, as making a piece of work? Was it always going to be a case of there was definitely always going to be an end piece of work and that was what it was aiming towards? Was it more about the process? I think the first two years where it's very much to do with process, to do with growing, to do with learning how to weave, I had, it was all about the process. I had no idea um, what the work was going to look like. And I didn't even begin to think about that. Um, so it was very, it was very much to do with that. And also to do with, yeah, like this strange kind of material connection, the, the kind of rituals of going, cycling up to the field to checking things out. Um, the, you know, noticing, noticing things. I mean, it's weird that we're talking about this now in relation to, to this kind of project but there is there was a real investment in kind of slowing slowing things down rather than kind of rushing into something and that um slowing of processes and i suppose techniques and allowing those materials to kind of slowly emerge and allowing and then so that's that's kind of that's been the sort of the foundations of of the work and um, and everything else that has come that isn't, um, I suppose that is kind of just like normal painting studio stuff is rooted in that. So it's kind of, and I've always, I've had to adjust my painting practice to remain, I think, faithful to that initial uh, material encounter, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like like you were saying, a lot of it's quite old craft, isn't it? And it's quite slowed down and it's very meditative, maybe, and it's a very long process. But then at one point, you kind of um, started combining that with quite unusual and abstract weaving patterns. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so, so my... Quite a, quite a change. <laughs> well, I suppose I'm not... I wasn't a weaver. I didn't have a... Um a sort of and grounding or in sort of craft and also I suppose the history of kind of weave patterns and structures and that's where I suppose Anne Harrod came in so Anne Harrod uh, McLaren's a, a, my partner and also a, a weaver and she was the one I've kind of said like you know is this a goer would you help me will you show me how to weave can I use your loom 
I was just thinking of doing just a plain weave and and just you know in to a certain extent using that to develop some of the more figurative things that my work was kind of um, working on and it was her idea saying look why if you're going to all these um, to all this effort and you're also going to weave your own canvas why not start thinking about pattern and structure within that weave why does it just have to be this plain weave you're kind of missing the boat and then she's like well why don't you think about um because she'd been to Guatemala she'd done a residency out there and obviously I, I understand I know about you know on a very superficial level I know about sort of South American Latin American um patterns and yeah we just went down a rabbit hole with that and did a little bit of research on some of the meaning behind these structures in terms of particularly there's a thing called uh, double cloth in um, uh, Peruvian Incan sort of weaving and it's a cloth that has got two warps running at the same time and when you weave it you kind of interweave both of them both surfaces and for for that sort of culture um, that kind of embodied their ideology of seeing life and death as one thing um, and you look at the history of uh, Latin American Central American weave and every single thing every pattern every technique has this meaning that is totally kind of in tune with their kind of religion with their ideologies and you just start it's just it's just amazing it's so it's so rich so i suppose the patterns that we uh, came up with or that we designed have the a lot of them are derived from these kind of circular hexagonal kind of motifs derived from sort of um yeah like honeycomb they're all these kind of interlocking structures that we've um, that i've been weaving with that yeah i suppose ultimately show the interconnectedness of things cool um and when you have that as a starting point of the canvas, it um, you yeah you you you, I suppose I wanted to. It was very. I quickly realised that I couldn't paint a the way that I was painting because the canvas was so textured and patterned um, onto these new uh, canvases. You know, I couldn't paint the way that I was painting previously, the very figurative, um, romantic sci-fi stuff onto these new patterns. I had to think of a new way of approaching it and again that took ages and there was lots of um, experiments and mistakes and things happening there.
because I've been obviously documenting it with you since kind of the beginning and you get all these kind of we film so many different processes and they're all visually really strong you know from the blue flax to the seed sit like every single part of it's so strong uh it's a bit of a weird question but like is it, is it a lot more pressure than normal to like almost do the canvas justice after such a long process of making it or like is it hard to find something that's you think really is like that you're happy with at, at the end of such a process to all of these are test paintings before I um, paint on the flax that we grew. And and it's just, yeah, I just, I knew that I needed to A, um, learn how to weave, think about the structure, and then B, kind of um, what the flip am I going to paint on these canvases? So they've all been um, these kind of tests, and some of them are more successful so that I'm happy with there's some paintings where um I there's like 20 paintings under there and I've overpainted it so much that you can hardly see the pattern um of the weave but I think there's there's parameters now um so I'm just looking at a painting on the on my website here there's a new one called it's called collective bloom and it's one that I've just put into a few competitions and I'd say it's nearly 50-50 in terms of the surface of that painting. I'd say nearly 50% of it is still the raw canvas and 50% of it has been painted. Mm -hmm. So once you start geeking out with like pattern and structure and weaving, when you've got your warp and your weft, you can start to play around with these and kind of play around with these formulas and mess about with them. So obviously um, weaving is a very precise thing. And I, uh, Ang Harrod, would um, not quite tell me off, but, you know, she'd make sure that any you can't have mistakes in weaving because the whole thing kind of collapses in on itself. Whereas painting is full of mistakes. Painting is, in essence, is all about the mistakes. So there's such a, um, a lovely thing that you can, I can start to play around with, which is to do with chaos and order. You know, it's, 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 it's those two things that have, I suppose have, often been at the heart of my interests. They're at the heart of how I, um, we look out the window and you see, you know, you see it, it looks chaotic, but each, each, and each element has got this perfect order and symmetry to it. So it's, um, it's a real, it's a vehicle now using patterns, using paint, color forms, uh, and the canvas, all these layers that you can do to create these, um, these paintings that are visually uh, chaotic and, and ordered at the same time. Um, it's an attempt to try and understand um, what's going on outside, what, you know, the structures of, of, of nature, if you want to call it that. It's an attempt to do that. Mm -hmm. what, um, what part of the process do you, did you kind of, were you the most surprised about? Because I couldn't believe, like for me, it was when the flax was blue and then I was, mm. okay this is incredible and then we go back up and it's even more amazing when the seeds are out do you know what I mean it just unreal the filming process yeah it was really nice to do that with you and I mean all of that was new I think mean, the location that we had in in Charlotte your wife's um woods at the bottom there you know couldn't have been more perfect really isolated on the top of that hill but sort of still sheltered um I mean, I love growing. I love growing things anyway. I've, I've, my, 
dad, granddad have always grown vegetables um, for me. So I kind of knew what I needed to do. I needed, I knew how I needed to clear the land and kind of uh, make sure that that crop was successful. And you know, it's pretty. It was pretty. It was. It was a good summer, and I think uh, we were quite lucky, and we managed to grow a decent crop of flax for the first time round, um, and we managed to ret it correctly which is where you uh, leave it out in the field so that the outer um once it's harvested you leave it out in the field so that the outer core is uh, rots away and you, it, you have to time it quite well so it doesn't get kind of moldy and stuff but we managed to do that as well so we, we managed to on a first attempt get um some you know some decent fiber but i suppose it was that it was going up there, looking, watching things grow, um, being aware of that process, and and somehow without, I mean, ideally it would have been amazing if I had the time to just ongoing have a, you know, have a flax farm with my studio, like in a bar next to it, right? That would be the ideal situation, so that everything is kind of symbiotic. But what it, what what's been interesting is to try and keep that. What is it? It's like an attention to detail, an attention to kind of nuance, um, a slowness to observation, and also to do with this. And we, you know, it comes back to we say whatever you want to call it, this process, like a slow, repetitive process. You want to call it meditative or mindfulness or whatever every single stage of um, of manufacturing the, the canvas by hand is you involved with these slow manual you know sometimes quite hard work but these slow uh, processes and the painting process um, is no different so all of those things they all feel very very similar they feel very kind of comfortable um, I was in the studio today for the first time in a while and it just feels like just coming home really you're just in that place where your mind and your body uh have got this kind of synergetic purpose which is to do this thing and do it as best as you can and that's the same as digging a hole you know preparing the land it's the same as uh cropping it it's the same as kind of the, all those processes to do with um, processing the flax and, and weaving as well. Weaving is incredible. You know, there's lots of people have written about the, the kind of mindfulness of weaving and the repetitiveness of it. So, um, I suppose the thing that surprised to answer your question, <laughs> the thing that surprised me the most was how everything felt so um, kind of normal as well. You know, how, how everything felt so normal and um, kind of like I've been there before. And also, like, I kind of, this is something I should have just done ages ago.
Oh, you gonna do it again? Do you reckon? Just like, just because? Yeah, I'd love to actually. Um, I kind of yeah. I had an idea to do it at Harlem, possibly in some planters. Had an idea to sow the seeds in a pattern so that they would grow in the same way that some of the weed patterns grow. Hmm. Um, there's all sorts of like you know silly conceptual things that you could do, but actually the um, yeah, there was something, even you know, aside of aside of using that um, crop to make something, it was such a lovely experience to have that, to see that, to see those different stages. You know, we, you filmed them beautifully. We've got like the footage of that. Um, we went up there because it's six in the morning or something to film the, the, the flowers are just up. Um, Every single day we, we did uh, decided to go filming that it was just really nice weather. So we were yeah. lucky um, with that. But um, yeah, aside of that, I just think growing stuff is just, is just good for you. It's just good for your soul. It's good for your, you know, just, yeah, I love, I love digging soil. Like one of the things I like, I'm not that big a gardener, but I'm, I'm well up for just digging you know, and Harrod says, go and, you know, turn over that ground. It's like, yep, fine, I'll be there. And um, there's something about that. Um, yeah, this kind of earthy, prime, primal, primeval thing going on. Mm. And like, I think, um, I think I remember this right, but halfway through, you know, when you started doing images on the, on test canvases, they were based on just kind of squares of photos on the floor to start with, right? And is that like kind of where the palette of those came from? Yeah, and they still are. So the paintings are based on the ground that I, I suppose, traverse, walk. And often they are the walk from my house to the studio. Um, the, the woods around Stony Wood, um, any walks that I go on around here. If there's a particular, so they're on the phone, you know, it's really nice thing. So I'm, I'm using technology. Um, I don't want to kind of like, can't shy away from that. Um, but those initial kind of outlines and sketches for the paintings are based on, yeah, these kind of micro close up details of the ground um, that kind of play off that kind of macro micro thing as if they could be like big landscapes. So I'm, I'm interested in, in the, the fractalness of, um, of the way that nature uh, works and it always have been. And you think about, you know, there's a drip on a painting um, and it kind of looks like a, the ri like a river. Well, it's soil and water, which is the same thing, but just on a massive scale, the, the way that a, a valley is formed. So there's some, there are some really beautiful um, material kind of truth in 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 the in, through painting through using paint in particular ways because you are literally manipulating soil and ground I and mean, paint pigments are different, different colored soils basically so that felt like a a starting point to of this kind of uh, material connection is to let's 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 start from the ground up literally let's start what what's going what's going on here let's document the ground using soil using the ground so the yeah and then there's the ground of historical ground of painting 
which is that first layer that you put down, which is often this kind of mid-tone color that everything else kind of builds upon. So I suppose the word ground in my head as a kind of conceptual starting point um, is quite important. And it's the ground that grew the flax, that grew the, the linen, that you get the, the, the fiber from, and you get the oil, the linseed oil, to bind the paint. So there's this, this, there's some, you know, um, relationships between materials, I think that are, have, I suppose, a symbolic meaning, but also have a very um, a material connection and importance. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Um, I kind of think that's all I'd probably need for the film. <laughs> so, <laughs> Unless there's anything else you want to talk about. I can ramble on forever about this stuff. And <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it might be worth talking a little bit about just the fact that flax, how long flax has been used for this purpose. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, I don't know. I think it was, um, it might have been the Egyptian. I think there's, there's, there's evidence of, um, of linens in, um, in the same way as cottons. Um, in Egyptian mummy tombs and things like that. It's thousands and thousands of years. But I mean, we're crazy. We just, human beings are, are nuts. Like, you know, you think about the easiest way to make yourself a coat if you're a Neanderthal would be to kill an animal and just put its fur on, right? That's like easy peasy. Um, but whoever decided to, um, well, you've seen what it's involved in making linen. Why would you go? <laughs> we could go to those lengths when you could just you know get some wool or something i suppose that you know linen is a really beautiful fiber it's really long so each each uh fiber of linen can up, can be up to a meter long so that makes it a really really strong thread compared to things like cotton and wool mm -hmm. um, it's very flexible it's got natural oils so the, that's one of the reasons why um it became a staple for oil painting is it was the Venetian Renaissance painters because of the damp who were painting usually on panel which is where oil painting after it came from after it became I suppose portable and it wasn't just based on frescoes on the walls it went on to wood panels in Venice their wood panels would keep warping and distorting so they decided to paint on on canvas hmm. And it was either linen or hemp. So hemp was used widely back then as well. So, um, yeah, and then kind of since then, for the last 500 odd year, years, it's been kind of the, the traditional kind of support for Western oil painting. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been fixated with it for ages. I remember it was uh, a few years back, I'd ordered some... It's called English Flax. It was from this uh, um, canvas supplier. And I ordered some and it was um, a bit rough. But when it came in the post, when I opened the packet, I opened it up and it just smelled of grass. It just smelled like a field. Um, it kind of smelled like a farm. And I think that was the point in my little head. That might have been the point. Going, wow, this, this, this is a plant. You could just, you could grow this and you could kind of make your own. So that was... Um, yeah, that was it. And that was when I was kind of making these kind of English romantic paintings. So there was some, that was the start of the seed actually was mm. opening it up. 
that package of this English flats canvas and it yeah mm. it smells like like being outside wow that's cool uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was just wondering about I'm just looking at so I'm just looking at um these paintings and there's just I suppose so with, with the paintings the way they're constructed they are the images are if I think about the the warp and the weft of the canvas, you've got these two layers, one running vertical, the other one horizontal, that kind of intertwined to create the canvas. With them, I've kind of very much taken that, um, I suppose, formula or approach with the imagery. So the imagery is a, 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 a collision or a combination of, of images of the ground with the weave pattern itself. So on on one of these paintings that weave pattern is then used again to generate um the painted kind of layers so there's a and they get bigger of course because the weave is very is quite small and tight so within these paintings there's often two or three layers of um of this pattern and it becomes in essence like a fractal so and there's a there's a there's an attempt within these so that there are vanishing points uh, you know in, in in relation to using the tropes of landscape there are points where the paintings kind of um yeah there's perspective in um and within that perspective there is this kind of space where these patterns kind of get bigger and smaller within that so i suppose there's an attempt to bring um a lot of things together and hopefully in a kind of, although the paintings can seem kind of chaotic and um, yeah, kind of overwhelming at times, they are small, which is you know, in a sense purposefully small so that they, ha they, I suppose, demand or request a particular engagement from the audience, from the, uh, from the viewer to look at things on this kind of macro-micro slow down um level of perception which mm -hmm. um so it goes it, i'm hoping that the, the the journey goes full circle um to you know all of that is transferred into the painting and then through you know into into, into the spectator
first track on the album Woven Ground and it features myself on guitars, there's a lot of um, loom samples in there, percussion made out of found sounds um, on some keys and some synths, Chris, Christopher John Thornhill on synths and bowed guitar and the lovely vocals of Patrick Shannon Whelan, also known as welfare and you can find his stuff on spotify uh his stuff is amazing thanks for listening everyone um if you're interested in the album it's 10 pounds available from my website jeffdiegolitherland.com all the proceeds go to paying the musicians that's all it's um yeah all the people who helped me um encouraged me and helped me um to do this all that um yeah it'd be really nice to give them a slice of the pie Thanks for listening and keep safe. Goodbye.